It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Dew. All right. Thank you so much, Doug Donats. It is cold outside here at the SNL Hall of Fame. So why don't you take a look down below and you'll see a mat. No, it's not Matt Ardill, but it's a mat for you to wipe your feet off. Get that snow out of here. Somebody might slip and fall. That could be uh, a real lawsuit on our hands. So there's that. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair. Each episode, we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. That's how we play the game. It's just that easy. This week on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, we are talking about former cast member Taryn Killam, and we are joined by our good friend Kirsten Rajala, who is a regular on the SNN and a regular here in the SNL Hall of Fame. Do you know who else is a regular? Our friend Matt Ardill. Let's go down the hall and talk to him. Okay, I am walking down the hallway, and I see him leaning on the wall ever so casually. Look at this cool cat. It's Matt. (laughs) How are you doing, Matt? I am doing great, J.D., and yourself? You're looking pretty fine today. Well, thank you very much. It's these new pants. They're they're very snazzy. Very snazzy. Yeah. yeah. So, Taryn Killam. Six foot one, born April 1st, 1982, which makes me feel very old. Um, (laughs) 19... Born in Culver City. Uh, His mother... Uh, toured with the Charlie Daniels band and her fa- oh and his father. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's singer, Double. songwriter, performer. Down to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. And her, his father was a member of the city garage theater troupe. So he has showbiz in his veins. And he was born April 1st. So it's gotta be comedy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is the great grand nephew of the actors Rosemary Bow and Robert Stack. He, Get out. Yeah, yeah. Like, like showbiz legacy kind of thing. Wow. If he was joining today, they'd like shout, be shouting Nepo baby. So, but yeah, he, he attended the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts and the UCLA theater, film, and television program studying musical theater, which we will get back to. Uh, he graduated from the Groundlings in 2010 and is one of two cast members to be both on Mad TV and SNL. Did not um, know that. Yeah, yeah. When he joined Mad TV, he was actually the youngest cast member at 19 in 2001. He has 90 acting credits, four writer credits, and two producer credits, along with six soundtrack credits. Uh, that we will touch on in a second. His first film appearance was in Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult, as the character named Boy. Uh, <laughs> he, he, very, uh, you know, big, lo- a big credit there. Uh, it was 1994, and he was at the age of 12 when he was first on screen. Yeah, so he, 
as a child actor, he he was also on Unsolved Mysteries, uh, The Jersey, and Big Fat Liar. Uh, he had a recurring role in Stuck in the Suburbs. He went on to play Mr. Rad in Community uh, in their regional holiday music episode. Oh. He wrote the mini uh, um, comic book miniseries for IDW called The Illegitimates, uh, which I'm going to have to now cover on on my my comic book podcast. Give it a plug. What's the title? Detecting the Marvelous. So That's if you right. want to check out about comics, the three comics, the chatting about comics. But yeah, so he went on to marry Colby uh, Smulders and uh, is a, a Broadway star taking over the role of King George III in Hamilton in 2017. And he did so well with it. Yeah, yeah. And he also played Lancelot in the Broadway production of Spamalot. Oh. So, I mean, that's tying his comedy and his musical loves together. Yeah. Which I wish I could have seen that. I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, that would have been great. Man, I wish I lived in New York sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So close, yet far enough away to be a pain in the butt. Right. So, I think we should go to our friend Kirsten Rajula and Thomas down in the basement and get a sense of what they're thinking about Taryn Killam. Looking forward to it. All right, Kirsten and Thomas, take it away. JD and Matt, thank you so much for that. Yes, we are talking today about a uh, great and sometimes I think overlooked cast member, and that is Taryn Killam. So to join me, not an overlooked guest. In fact, what are you on now? You're, are you a twenty timer on our podcast at this point, Kirsten? I feel like I'm a twenty timer, a happy twenty timer, though. Yeah, you're like our Steve Martin. I think you're just like you're in the you're in the fabric of the show. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Kirsten Rayula. Thank you so much. Uh, Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And I, you know, I, I know I say I love so many of the people that we talk about, but this is a real special one. So I'm doing great because in rewatching a lot of this person's material, it put me in a great mood. Yeah, it really does that. It puts you in I, the last few days that I've been revisiting Taryn's sketches and, and whatnot. I've just been in, in a wonderful mood uh, yep. because of that. So, so this, yeah, this, this is a good one to talk about. Uh, given the nature of our, uh, uh, the format that I like to do on this podcast, Kirsten, I'm going to let you plug stuff up the top. So tell us what you've been up to. I know you have a storyteller thing you, that you're doing. I know that you've been on a lot of SNL podcasts. So tell us what Kirsten's been up to. All right. So yes to both of those. So my bestie and I, we host a seasonal storytelling event. It's called Generation Women. There is one in New York. We have the Toronto-based shows. So you know, folks in New York, you can go see it there as well. And it's an intergenerational storytelling event. So on a common theme, a woman in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s plus all 
tell us a story. And they're not professional, but they are formidable women. And it's a really beautiful night. So, you know, if you're in the Toronto area, come check us out. The next one's in April and they happen every season. Um, or if you are in New York, check them out there too, because uh, it's the event itself is like a big warm hug. It's fantastic. And to be able to give a voice to so many people who, you know, we all have a story to tell. So that's great. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, my love for SNL grows deeper and deeper the more I engage with all these other fantastic members of this SNL fan community. And I've just got to check off my bucket list going to see the show because I have not seen the show live yet. That's hard to believe. I know. I know. Yeah, you need a. Have you entered the lottery? That's the thing. I haven't. <laughs> okay, you got to enter the lottery, or the best way to do it is is in the standby line. That's how my does wife and I got into the show. Yeah, really? it does. Yeah, the success rates a lot better than the lottery. So I'd advise you honestly, just take a weekend to go to New York and do the yeah. standby line. What time did you get there? Well, they have a, a new process. So we so you send an email now, and then they give you a number. Okay. And then you show up about six o'clock with your number and then they slot you in the line. Okay. And then you wait well, how we did it. And I, this may have even changed since then it was 2022, but how we did it was we slept on the street for 12 hours overnight. And then they handed us our cards. We, we picked live or dress and then they handed yep. us our cards and then you show up to uh, um, Rockefeller center and then kind of hope you get in. And we got in for the Lizzo show two years ago. My wife and I did. Oh my gosh! But you slept on the street for twelve mm-hmm. hours. Yep. And it was no, it was fun. Me. No, we made friends. Lizzo's uh, Lizzo bought us pizza. Her backup dancers came out and delivered pizza to what? us. So it was a whole thing. Now it's fun. So did I you see live that. or dress? We saw dress. Yeah, I'd almost rather see dress because I want to see more. Mm-hmm. And we 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 uh, compare. We were able to compare dress to live. See what got cut. Mm-hmm see what should have got cut that made air and all of that. So that's, that's what I recommend, but you got to see the show. Okay. 2024. Yeah. I got to yeah, get on put, this. Scratch that off your bucket list. Yeah. I got to do it. All right. All right. I'm actually writing this down. I'm going to, this is happening. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so up. also it was part of your, uh, big appearances on podcasts lately. You were on the first episode of season five of the Esna hall of fame in our draft. So you were one of the drafters. It was me, you, and Matt Ardill. And you chose today's topic, Taryn Killam. So just in general, because we're going to kind of deep dive into some of his sketches and work, just in general, what was it about Taryn that compelled you to want to choose him and talk about him? Oh, that's a great question. I will say I read a lot of comments on so many of the videos that I've rewatched. And I got to tell you, I don't think I saw a single negative one. Everyone said overlooked, stellar member of the cast, and Lauren did him dirty. <laughs> Lauren did him dirty. I, we need closure. I know. We really need closure. He, gosh, he's just so consistently funny and the kind of person that I'd want to hang out with. I'd want to hang out with him and just laugh and do silly characters. And that's probably part of the reason. Although I'd probably say that about people like Bowen too. But yeah. special place in my heart. And, uh, and I, I think most, apparently all, according to the comments, people would agree with me. 
Yeah, Taryn comes across as a big old ball of sunshine. Yeah. I think that's that's like something that that came to my mind. He's just yeah. like he's he's just pops off screen. He's just fill, he just fills the room with joy. Uh even when he's playing like a, a almost an unlikable character, it's it's fantastic and he's likable in the process. Yeah, and all chips on the table. Like yeah. no ego, just just attacks each character. Yeah. Which I admire and enjoy so much. And uh, Kirsten, as far as like SNL cast members, I kind of a, a few different categories come to my mind. So you have cast members who are unquestioned stars that hit in the mainstream. So like your Will Ferrells, uh, your Eddie Murphys, like those are unquestioned mainstream stars that hit on the show and had a wider reach. Then you have cast members who are just not cut out for the show. Don't want to name specific names, but we can think about SNL history. We know who a lot of those people are. You see them, they're okay, but maybe not totally made for the show. Then you have cast members who are obviously very good, obviously made for the show, but slip through the cracks just a little bit. So I think Taryn probably falls into that last category. Clearly made for the show, but kind of like went under the radar. So why do you think that happens, Kirsten? Like a cast member can be made for the show, but not 100% hit like a, like on a mass like populist level. Oh, I wish I knew I would just become an agent in Hollywood. <laughs> I think he's got a little bit of so many things. He's got a character actor sensibility. He can play the, you know, Prince Charming type role physically. And then there are some sketches like Overly Protective Brother where there's some Farley. Hmm. So he almost had a little bit of everything and maybe that was working against him. Yeah. You'd, I would, you would think it would work for him that they can just, you know, great, bring him in, bring him in, bring him in. And perhaps the other folks that leaned into those lanes, you know, Chris Farley doing his kind of boisterous, over-the-top, yelling, aggressive, high volume. And then you've got Sudeikis, who really leans into, like, the smarmy dad or coworker or boyfriend. And they really raced hard against those things and he was like i'll do all of them so you know jack of all trades master of none is all i can figure no i think that's a really good point i think he didn't have the one thing to latch on to i think Mm -hmm. you're right he he was willing to do everything was capable of playing anything and doing anything on screen and you're right that as far as mainstream appeal like snl nerds watch tear and kill him and knew what we were seeing. We were seeing a person made for the show who was great at sketch comedy, but I guess he didn't have the recurring character, though I would argue at least one or two of his characters probably should be more well-known on the mainstream level. Uh, But you're right, Jack of all trades. uh, I would say master of them, but maybe not, Mm. that that wasn't Mm. the perception of the quote-unquote like average fan or the people who are not a like Hollywood SNL. way. Yeah. Yeah. Not a Hollywood way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But we are here to appreciate Taron Killam. We know yes, SNL yeah. fans do, and we appreciate him. So Kirsten, I want you to uh, get this going. We're going to uh, talk about some sketches. What sketch or character do you want to start with, uh, with Taron Killam? Well, there are so many, and I know we're going to cover them all, but one of my favorites 
it may have been one where he really landed my consciousness was Les Jeunes de Paris, the youth of Paris. And this happened a few times. I think the ones with Emma Stone really, you know, that was my, the, the, the top. They're a bunch of, you know, teenage kind of cool Parisian kids with their Parisian style hanging around a jukebox. There's some flirting going on. And then this really fun poppy song, which by the way, I shazammed and then put on my Spotify and have listened to because it's mm-hmm. so fun. I think Taryn uh, or somebody heard it at a Starbucks or something really? one time and was kind of like, oh, that's that where it came like, from. Yeah, that's a cool Amazing. groove. Yeah. And then they just do this kind of incredibly wacky dance at certain parts of the song mm-hmm. and then switch back to playing it cool. One of the sketches that I would have loved to have been in as one of those dancers. That Yeah, that looks so much fun. And by, by the way, my French teacher wife would say magnifique on your pronunciation of Les Jeunes de Paris. Well, you know I'm in Canada, right? So Yeah, that's true. You have a yeah. leg up. Yeah, I should. Just a All little right. leg up. But compliment. thanks. I, no, no, I'm taking away the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no, this was great. Like kind of an out there concept. Like there, it's a, like almost a parody, uh, uh, like a stereotypical view on like the youth of Paris or whatever. Like so, so funny out there concept. Taryn is such a good physical performer, and I think that's going to be a common thread in a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Is just how he contorts his body, the facial expressions after the the look on his face after he gets slapped, and he's like had kind of the self pleased look on his face, and just such a great physical performer, Kirsten. I agree. That's I have some key themes. The physicality of his performance and also a very much a vocal performer using through all his impressions, kind of volume, tone, um, cadence, like, and then face pulling, like he really is in control of his being and brings all of it. Um, you know, there are some recent episodes of the show where we've had guest stars and such on and you can see a difference when they're showing up and they are there on their looks alone or their attractiveness right. or something. And this is someone who will do anything for the role, pull faces, yell and scream, as you say, twist and contort. And I think the fans appreciate when someone really just dives in like that. Yeah, uh, w- when I was talking about the, the different categories of cast members, when I said cast members who are just maybe not cut out for the show, that's one of the huge things that sticks out is I almost they, they almost have nervous energy on mm-hmm. screen, and then I feel sorry for them. They're self-conscious. When, they're self-conscious, yeah. And yeah. I don't want my SNL cast member to be self-conscious. I don't want to sit there and feel bad mm-hmm. for, for the person on the screen with Taryn. That was anything but. He had complete control of his performance. If he was nervous, which he probably was, especially at the beginning. Dana Carvey said it. he was nervous after his five years yeah. on the show. So I'm sure Taryn was nervous, but it did not show. He was in complete control uh, in his performances. You know where you see that a lot is 
when a sketch has physical demands for the character. And I'm thinking of the Maryville brothers. Because <laughs> a sketch like that requires a very specific type of movement. They're animatronic characters on this kind of carnival ride. So in addition to, you know, having to use his face and his body in a way, there's a very specific type of movement that him and the Maryville brothers are making. So I think it's a really, it's a perfect example of someone who can match the movement with the facial expression and that kind of what that character is, which is this, I mean, he almost looks like slack in his face. Right, right. Um, and he just does those movements so well. It's hilarious. But Maryville Brothers to me is another one where it's, I don't, I actually don't know if he wrote that, but someone had to have created that with him in mind. That's such a perfect example. It was almost a way to show off uh, Taryn's ability. Also, Bill Hader was very good in those. Bill Hader's the another triangle. one who can, who can, yeah, playing the triangle. He's another one who could do his body like that. When when they got the perfect host who can yep. sort of match Taryn and whoever else was in that sketch, like he so he did this three times. Jim Carrey, Justin Timberlake, surprisingly, Bruno Mars was pretty adept at well, maybe not surprisingly because he's a dancer. So yeah, so that's like a movement kind of thing but this is almost like a way for Taryn to show off like like he he's such a good physical performer like he must have got an A plus in like a movement class I'm sure he could teach he's a, a musical movement theater class kid so not that that means everyone excels in movement but more so than the average person but yeah, yeah it was a showcase for him for sure my eyes were always drawn to him in that role I actually had forgotten Jim Carrey and Justin Timberlake did it because I really only think of Taryn and then, yeah, Bill Hader with the thing. Um, but Jim, Jim Carrey was also, like, they're also fantastic, but mm-hmm. it's, it's his show for sure. No, definitely. He, he's kind of the common thread in those Maryville sketches. There's another one toward the, like, later in Taryn's tenure. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch this or remember this. It's called Undersea Hotel. It's with... <laughs> when Peter Dinklage yeah. hosted. It's another great example of how great Taryn is at just odd movements because he play, he Taryn plays a dead body who's supposed to be floating underwater and the way he's moving his body is absolutely hilarious. Do you, you remember this one? Yes, and I, in my recollection, thought he must have been dangling. He wasn't. No. He was just, you know, standing but able to kind of float and kind of Bob in this fake water scene and it truly looked like he was underwater and or suspended and kind of just you know being kind of swung around and then he gets hit with the pool cleaner and then he gets brushed up and his face is against the window um and then the eel is eating him I mean yes top marks the whole sketch really hinged on the believability of him as this kind of dead body floating. And I don't think anyone else could have done that. No, not on, not on that cast. I don't think when uh, Cecily's looking at him as the dead body and she's like, is he following me? Yeah. And and, yeah. And Taryn of course is like matching Cecily's movements and, and everything like that. Jay Farrow ended up in the water too, but he was on string. So see, he was on some sort of 
um, suspension thing, but but Taron was on on the bottom of the screen, so he was able to manipulate his legs and body. That like that yeah. that one just totally sticks out, like classic Taron Killam and his movements. I'm glad you remember that one. Uh, that's what that's definitely one that stuck out to me as far as like later Taron. That was that was a real big highlight for me. Yep. If people have not seen that one recently, go rewatch it and remark at his ability to look like he's floating when he's not floating. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, there's, uh, well, I don't know, what, what else do you have on your list to, to celebrate Terran Killam? Oh, uh, well, one that I really enjoyed, it was Hypnotist. Oh. So yeah. in this one, we've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's playing Tommy Bergamot. He's, uh, 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 you know, one of those kind of, almost like a cruise ship or hypnotist or like Vegas, you know, one of those kind like of. like a nightclub. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of really corny. And there is Taryn and, you know, Vanessa's his wife. He's got his Tommy Bahama button down and a little mustache. He's on vacation and he's playing Curtis, and Curtis can't be hypnotized. Um, so as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, or as Tommy, as he you know hypnotizes him, he always is conveniently looking away when it gives... So it gives Curtis, turning character, the chance to interact with the in-sketch audience, you know, mm-hmm. like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm not hypnotized. And he's, he's mouthing these words, I'm not hypnotized, I'm not, I'm not. And he's giggling... And he's known as a ham. Like, that's the premise. As he goes up there and you think, oh, what's going to happen to this guy who's a ham and he's really cocky? And uh, is he going to end up acting like an idiot? No, no, no. He, he sets up this whole thing where he's playing along, but he is having so much fun being a goof. And I, I, it was very believable. Um, but I, yeah, I... I just thought it was so funny. I don't know what even to say about it. I just made me happy. Yeah. Again, one of those things that just made me happy. Yeah, Taryn, I loved his facial expressions in this. Like when yes. he's he's so he's so pleased with himself when he's mouthing to the audience, I'm not hypnotized. And he's yeah, kinda yeah, yeah. chuckling and then uh he's just such so good at facial expressions. And the there's escalation. So we a lot of times when we talk about sketches and maybe, you know, what sketch worked and what didn't, we talk about there's no escalation. But in this sketch, there was escalation. He stripped down to his tidy whities Oh, yeah. And climbed on And was on walking someone. around. Yeah. Walking around in his tidy whities pretending to be a dinosaur, humping Keenan, humping people. Yeah. Uh, Taryn threw himself. All in, for the joke. Into yep. this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the, the hypnotist. He did a great job. Vanessa yep. Bear played his wife just a this was from season 38 almost like a lost era of snl like um it was a transition era of snl after like maybe like after kate or after Kristen wig and those people and uh before like a lot of the political stuff took hold before kate and uh, uh cecily and 80 really like took hold uh in the show there was a little transition period and and this a sketch like this tends to get lost but this is such a great highlight uh, you know what else I enjoyed Taren. about it is that it it ended really well because yes. that is often something I'll complain about that the sketches don't always have a really nice bow on top, and in this one they create an an entire scenario where he apparently under hypnosis admits that he's cheating on his wife and Vanessa Bear plays along. Curtis, <laughs> when I snap my fingers, you will reveal your darkest secret. I'm cheating on my wife with her sister. <laughs> No, 
No, no, Cherie. Uh, uh, he told me to say that I was hypnotized. That's part of the show. Tell him. Well, happy birthday to me. Oh, Cherie. Oh, God, you ruined my life. Why? Well, Why? This is unfortunate. But as you can see, I did, in fact, hypnotize Curtis. Oh, she's so shocked. And then you see her pop out on stage and she's clearly, Haha, I'm not hypnotized. I'm joking, too. I'm in on it. So I, I really liked how that one ended. You know, there is a great example that I have of facial expression. Mm-hmm. And this was a sketch called Brother to Brother with Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Remember this one? So it's treated as like a really, really stereotypical 90s kind of teen sitcom. And you've got Maddie and Marky and they're twins or brothers. I don't know if they're actually twins, but brothers. And it, all the the delivery of the lines is in that like, Come on, brother, time for school. Like just corny, corny teen stuff or tween even. And the premise here is that Chris Hemsworth is bad at math. So Marky is going to go and pretend to be him and take his math test. Mm -hmm. He goes in the class. The teacher and all the students clearly recognize that they're very different looking. It's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, you think about Chris Hemsworth and Taryn Killam. No offense to Taryn Killam, but you know. Yeah. And then Cecily and the student, who's the teacher, and the students in the class will not stop making comments about why the two look different. And it's very complimentary of Chris Hemsworth and his physical attributes, and obviously not for Taryn. And he's just looking at the camera while they insult him, making so many funny faces like, okay, yeah, that's enough. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, cool. Yep. No, you figured me out and they won't stop. And I don't know if I could stare at a camera and make enough of the faces that he did. He had so many that he kept pulling out. It was hilarious. Yeah. He can contort his face as well as contort his body. It's just such like like I mentioned movement class, but he must have, mm. the stuff you learn in like clown school and stuff, that's like yeah. a clowning kind of thing. Like uh, th- that's such talent, not and that that's kind of a rare thing for SNL cast members to be able to adequately, adequately do. That's why people who can do th- that type of movement really stick out to me. Yep. I want to bring up, I think this is a good part of the show to bring up uh, maybe my favorite recurring character of his. And probably a lot of people's. Uh, it's Jebediah Atkinson, his weekend update character. Annie! Oh, great. A needy ginger who breaks into song every five seconds. Sing as loud as you want, honey. Your parents ain't coming back. <laughs> Next! Ugh, don't even get me started on cats. I've seen a less depressing show featuring a hundred cats. It's called Hoarders. <laughs> You know what that play needed? A first act visit from feline AIDS. Cats don't care about you. All right. Okay. Kirsten, tell me, tell me in this research you dove into Jebediah Atkinson. I I actually saved it for last because I just, I needed that to be the wonderful dessert. What an incredible character. And he came back six times, Mm -hmm. four times in one season. So Jebediah, our 1860s newspaper critic, the jokes are amazing. But what I especially love about this is 
oftentimes, Michael Che does this a lot, is when there is a joke that causes groans, is they try to win the audience back over. You know, yeah. they kind of, oh, you know. Jebediah gives zero Fs. He yeah. doubles down. He doesn't give an inch. Like, it's unapologetic. He says the craziest things, and he his character does not care if anyone is insulted. It is what makes for such a funny, funny character. And then he mocks them back mm-hmm. at their groaning. And he insults them. Like, I, yes, what have we got here? He says they were such pussies about that cat joke. The <laughs> audience went full bitch after the Snoopy joke. Um, oh my gosh. There's I think more. at least two or three times in d- oh different Jebediah appearances, he, he said that the audience went full bitch on something. Yeah. Audience were such bitches. Yeah. You know, what's funny too, is in this, this character ad libbed a few times. There were a few times when clearly he went a little bit off script, but he mm-hmm. was able to improvise so well in character that I think he became more beloved because of it. Yeah. There was like a flub that he had when Cecily mm-hmm. was an anchor. Tommy, he- did you like any of this year's nominees? I haven't liked any Tommy. What? <laughs> I haven't liked any Tony nomination ever. Who's You're kidding me? I, I got big beef with Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> A bully. And Tommy, you know who you are. Tommy. But the Tony, yeah. Cecily. <laughs> Yeah. She kind of laughed, and he's like, Tommy. So he made up this backstory on the spot yeah. about how Tommy used to bully him or something, and and then he got right back into the character. Like, that's such a great job of Taryn, like, thinking on his feet. Yep, absolutely. And if you can draw your eyes away from him and check out Seth in the um, the time that he was talking about Frosty the Snowman and Charlie Brown special mm-hmm. and such, Seth is captivated by him, I'll say. So watch it back. And again, you'll usually want to watch Jebediah. But Seth has turned to him and he's just delighted and giggling and so captivated by this performance. It's like he's just watching a master class himself and, you know, kind of got out of his, his own weekend update hosting character and was just facing him as an audience member also. So I thought that was really fun because, you know, Making one of your colleagues laugh like that to us always feels like the epitome of nailing it. Um, yeah, I think delighted is a great, this. yeah, delighted is a great uh, word for it. Seth looks so delighted. And I, I like that this character worked across update eras too. So he started with Seth and then he, you could see appearances with Jost and Cecily. And then he even appeared with Jost and Che. He was on there with Michael Che. So this character spanned like three different update eras and it worked every time that this was so beloved I, I i can't believe he only did it six times but i think that's probably for the best i think you know ration it out a little bit make people want it you know and uh yeah the way he would toss the cards kirsten oh my gosh next i will say out <laughs> of six times though it was strong every time yeah because often we think, oh, you guys just cool it with this one. No, it was inc- the joke writing was incredible. You dropped a real Lincoln log um, when he made a joke. I don't know who it was about. Someone, I mean, this is like a death that occurred 
century ago. Oh, too soon. Yeah, I think you it know? was Lincoln. Was it? Yeah. And yeah. then Jesus. Yeah, nice fan base. You've got a leper on one side and a prostitute on the other. And then we, you know, oh, mountaintop fish on a hot day. Like, just the most sarcastic awesomeness. Yeah. Well, when I... A big topic amongst SNL fans a lot of times is, oh, this cast member's not getting screen time or they're not being used right. I always say they need to look at the update desk. They need to write update pieces for themselves and try to get on the update desk. Taryn did it right here. Kirsten, I think this is the, like a template for what an update character should be. Like this I is agree. Per- yep. one of the perfect update, like Jebediah Atkinson, Stefan, there's like a handful of update characters over the years that that just really stick out and Jebediah is one of them. This is like a classic like if I had taught a class on on SNL and how to do well on SNL, I would show this character say this is what you got to do to make it on update. I agree. I agree. Commit so fully, embody that character through and through so that you can improvise in character that easily. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, this, I mean, Jebediah. Is this the best thing Taryn did, possibly, on SNL? Ooh, you know, it could be. I kind of think, looking back, like, he did a, he had a lot of strong work, but Jebediah kind of think it's his, it's his, it's his thing. It's, it's what he, he might be remembered for. And that, and that's a great, like, if an SNL cast member, if their best thing was Jebediah Atkinson on Weekend Update, that's a heck of a career. Yeah, did honestly. good. Yes, if I think of, let's say, you know, we're coming up on the 50th, of all of his work, Jebediah should be in the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Or I'd yep. want Jebediah, I'd want Taryn to come back and do Jebediah like on the 50th celebration, Joe. Well, say that out loud a few more times. Let's manifest that shit. Yeah. Ha- that has to happen. And I will tell you this. That would give me a little bit of the closure that I need due to his departure. Oh, I know. Yeah, we he could talk about that back. at the end, but yeah. I know. I, I totally feel you. But I, I, I would just love to see him egg on all the celebrities that are in the crowd, maybe make jokes about people in the crowd and say, oh, oh, like in a classic Jebediah sort of way. I would That's love right. that. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, here's the thing. He also played your more conventional roles. So I'm thinking of Blazer, which is, you know, your kind of retro cop show detective, you know, sliding across the hoods of cars, getting the bad guys, always the shot of like leaping from one building to the next. Every trope from those detective sitcom shows, his being named Blazer, he's tough, he's cool, he's Blazer, he runs, he punches, but it turns out that he's racist. Yeah. And this one also had a great ending where you zoom out and you realize he's watching that footage on a small screen in his boss, the police chief's office, and getting, you know, in trouble. So, you see why I gotta fire you, right, Blazer? Because I only beat up black guys? Yeah, because you only beat up black guys. Because my... Partner filmed everything with his body cam. Yeah. Also, cause I edited it all together and added music and put it up on YouTube. Uh huh. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Well, had a good run while it lasted, didn't we, Chief? We sure did. 
We sure did. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see them high five about the good old days. We zoom out from that and it's the footage of the police chief getting in trouble by the commissioner because he's done the same thing. So a really fun way for us to to resolve that and make it not just be about only the character, but some fun storytelling tricks along the way when it came to to the pre-tape. Yeah, that that happened in at the end of season 40, and that was such a perfect premise. Uh yeah, the fact that this uh stereotypical detective Don Blazer, he's this badass and he's punching, but then of course like as an audience member, it starts becoming clear when you're watching, like he's only punching black guys. <laughs> like yeah. what's going on? And then the fact that they call it out and it's like kind of gets meta and that yeah, yeah, that that's that's one from season forty that 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 possibly gets lost too, but that's just uh, one of my favorites. And my and just the affectation that Taryn can put on his voice, the kind of airheady but like yep. want to be badass kind of guy. Like I love that affectation. He did that too when he uh, he played Brad Pitt. Yes, he kind yep. of put a, on a similar sort of like affectation. He he debuted. It was kind of an odd debut. He debuted Brad Pitt on Weekend Update doing the weather, which mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. But there was a four part runner. Kirsten in the Bruno Mars episode. I don't know if you remember this or were able to rewatch these, but Is this the cologne. Oh, yeah, the cologne, Taco Bell. You've been running all day. Sometimes it feels like you've been running your entire life. Through a vast, hot, sandy desert. With lots and lots of dry, hot sand. And then finally, you cross it. The border. You're at Taco Bell. With the new Doritos Taco Loco. It's like pouring a bunch of loose meat and cheese into a bag of Doritos, which, by the way, is a great way to make a quick meal when you have between 8 and 20 children. Franklin's yeah. dog condoms, some yeah. random dermatologists. <laughs> like, these these were just brilliant. And it's not often we get a four-part runner in a show, mm-hmm. but but they obviously t- trusted Taryn and loved this uh, Brad Pitt impression. Yep, yep. Well, speaking of him kind of looking... I don't know. Did you say like kind of dumb? You, like just like went. Yeah. Um, Big Joe is the epitome of that. Big Joe can't do it. This character who's kind of like a an early Hodar of sorts, like the farm version of Hodar. <laughs> he's got, you know, he's really pumped up. He clearly looks ridiculously and over the top muscular. And Bobby Moynihan's character. This is back in like Prairie Days, I think. And uh, Bobby's under a pile of rocks. And all the townspeople gather around in their little pioneer outfits. But there's Big Joe, and you think, look at this big, giant muscle guy. He's going to lift the rocks. Hang in there, Daniel. Joe's going to save you. All right, now. Everybody stand back. Here it goes. I can't do it. What? Are you sure? Can't be done. You didn't try for very long. You're going to die. I don't want to die. We won't let you, Daniel. Let, let me give it a try. Ain't no use. Big Joe can't do it. That I got it. All right, well, that's, that's good. He got little rocks. Come on, keep on going. <laughs> he already As knew. it turns out, the rocks are not even that heavy. And one of my favorite things is, um, I don't remember who it was, but they kind of pick it up. 
and they skip off with it. And he's like, oh, he's skipping. Like, <laughs> they're all actually not that heavy. They're kind of yeah. light. And then, you know, there's a fun element where he's trying to pick up one very heavy one because his manlyhood or his manhood is challenged by another suitor for our female character. And then we see like night, day, night, day, night, day. And he's clearly still trying to lift this rock, but no, he just can't do it. Yeah, um, that, that's a that's great delivery by Taryn. Is yeah. about, that's like what a good actor he is. Yeah. Right there. That's a good example. Yeah, that was a fun one. His his not intelligent face, his big old oaf yeah. face. Yeah, exactly. We saw it in that. <laughs> and Brad Pitt, I guess uh, I guess by extension, I'm calling Brad Pitt like a <laughs> not intelligent, well, even though he is. They're, but how they're making fun of that for sure. For yeah. sure. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, there, there's a, Taryn could play weird too. And he, he, he does really well in very bizarre, weird sketches. That's kind of what you were talking about was he can do a lot whatever they need him needed him to do he could do it and one of the more bizarre sketches from that era is when Anne Hathaway hosted and uh mm-hmm. it was an earworm the songs in my head right now is cuz I'm about to talk about it it was the uh, the legend of Mokiki and the sloppy swish Mokiki does the sloppy swish <laughs> Look at him move Mokiki does the sloppy swish that's such a bizarre oh, sketch that Taryn just and Keenan, both of them just do so well in this. This is a pretty famous sketch, Yeah, this pre-tape. It's one of those, if you know, you knows. It is, must have been dreamed up at five in the morning. And I, I often wonder if someone just put on that outfit, like if he just put on that outfit. And, you know, that's kind of, because I think he said the dance is what's, you know, the idea that like a dance kind of, you do something silly and sometimes mm-hmm. that turns into a dance craze. But that outfit also seemed like the kind of thing you might wear around your house between the holidays when you've been <laughs> inside for so long and you're just walking the dog. Like, it was very strange. One of the things I loved about it is they clearly film him doing this dance IRL on the streets of New York and random tourists and citizens of New York join him. Yep. And you can tell that it's... You know, he just showed up gorilla style and just started doing this dance and then, you know, watch what happens. It's a really funny one. And it is weird as all weird could be. It's so strange. It's almost like they thought of the dance. They knew Taryn the way he, he, his physicality, that he, he mm-hmm. could do that dance and make it hilarious. And it almost yeah. seems like at the last second they had to come up with like a backstory. <laughs> For, right, for Mokiki right, right. and why he was like that. So it like he was a normal guy who had experiments done on him. And now he has this dance and spits venom and all this stuff. Right. But at the last second, it almost just like, oh, we actually got to explain this. Maybe put that yeah, in the song. Yeah. I don't know. What's happening here? Well, yeah. otherwise, he just looks like he could be, you know, homeless or an unfortunate cir- circumstances. But they're like, no, this was there was some shit that happened to him. Yeah, And the song, too, like it reminds me so much of a Mano Chow song. So it takes me back to this time when I would listen to that. And yeah, it's there's so a lot of memories It's so weird that you say that. I that thought one. of Mano Chow immediately, too. Yeah. 
I didn't think yeah. anybody else would, would understand that. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, you, my wife. My wife's a Manu Chow fan. So yep, like, yep. these are a few I, people It takes in the me world. right back to listening to that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a total yeah. Manu Chow sounding song. Yeah, and yeah. a very memorable, perhaps a, along with Jebediah Atkinson, Mokiki and the Sloppy Swish might be what Taryn Killam, what a lot of fans know Taryn for. Yes. Like, it, like yep. if we had a video playing next to his his Hall of Fame bust, this would be like the second or third thing I think that plays. I agree. I agree. You know, SNL will do weird things, and this one was an instance where it just landed. Like, it absolutely landed. Mm-hmm. So strange. The fact that, <laughs> you know, you've got this beautiful woman who also gets ugly and sp- starts doing the dance in those horrible sandals. Yeah. <laughs> the weird outfit. <laughs> yeah. that They also gave Taryn, like, a, a political impressions he did paul ryan uh, marco mm-hmm. rubio one time ted cruz seven times yeah uh, toward the end of his tenure so um so if he if they needed him taron was there to to pitch in with uh, uh mitt romney's son at the mm-hmm. i remember him appearing at one point uh yep. so so taron was was always a good uh sketch player and team player in that regard but he did great impressions too like mm-hmm. some of those guys you know that were more I don't know. They they don't have as many things you can grab onto in terms of, you know, an impression. But then his Matthew McConaughey, wow, so good, so so good. My favorite was the one with the real Woody Harrelson. Oh, that's nice, of you Colin. We always knew it was going to be a one and done situation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can't go on and on to the break of dawn because <laughs> we. Are creatures of the night. Vampires. <laughs> Blood suckers. And when the cock crows. <laughs> dust in the wind. I couldn't have said that better myself, Matthew. I don't think anyone could have said it like that. He's cracking Woody up. And they're talking about True Detective and, again, great writing. I need to look up who wrote that. Fantastic writing, fantastic, again, movement and impersonation of all of the kind of quirky McConaughey-isms. And, and Woody's, Woody's trying to contain himself because he knows. That, that was a great impression. I think that was like season 39 or something. One of Woody's Woody's hosting appearances. They were uh, Taryn as Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey was able to harness the stoner kind of thing and uh, outduel Woody, I guess, in that regard. Yeah, a lot of people can do McConaughey with the all right, all right, all right, and that's uh-huh. where it stops. But he delivered an entire update piece, fully in character, maintaining that unique McConaughey vernacular and delivery style yeah yeah that, his michael Sarah was really good too oh it was so funny just a squirrely little yeah yeah squirrely is a great word he was a <laughs> no squirrely offense, little weenus yeah he was do michael Sarah's fantastic but he was he looked even squirrelier in this impression and yes he was making appearances on the being quirky with uh zoe deschanel mm-hmm fully friend zoned it felt like just in the kitchen doing little thingies and uh his voice and his face the little like that cute little up dog 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, good impression. Don't you just want to hang out with him? I just want to hang out with him and just do silly things and characters and make dumb dances and Mokiki version two. Yeah. He seems very well liked by his former castmates. I know um, that he and Vanessa Bear are still really tight. I listened to Vanessa Bear's podcast with her brother and mm-hmm. Taryn's been on. He does like a, a little production elements. He voices different types of production elements for her podcast. I know he keeps in touch with a lot of his former castmates. They probably really appreciate him, appreciated working with him. He seemed like a very giving scene partner, very easy person to work with. Yep. I agree. It's that total commitment when there are, there are always going to be instances where a sketch is not landing the way that everyone wanted it to. And you either resign yourself to it and just, you know, stay on the track or you, you lean in even further and just try to push something out of it. And he is that guy. And I think that's what makes him such a formidable scene partner is there's a level of trust that I will hold on to this no matter what happens. We're going big or going home. So the improv background suits him well. Musical theater suits him well. He's one of only two people who did Mad TV to SNL. Like there is, there's pedigree there. And, you know, so through training and also just the obviously the type of character traits and personality he has, um, you can see why he really elevated a lot of sketches but didn't take over, which to his detriment almost m- gave room for other people to become more memorable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here we are on this show talking about why he's fantastic. So yeah, we do. We recognize him. Absolutely. Um, so as far as his departure from SNL, Officially on the books, was it a firing officially? It seems, as far sounds as I like know, it probably was. Yeah, as far as I know, because um, I also did more research, he and Jay Farrow were f- fired. Yes, they were. their contract was not renewed at the same time. Mm. He, on one podcast that I just listened to, he alluded to the fact that you know, SNL really is a young person's game. And, and there was a period of time when, you know, you could dedicate everything in your being to, you know, being there for it. And he had become engaged and he had a child and they, he was commuting back and forth from New York to LA and it became harder to give it all of the extracurricular time that is part of the community culture building that happens there. And he said he was not surpri- he wasn't blindsided by the mm. fact that he was fired. He I think he he thought it might be another year, but he also said because the host said you know did Lauren call you and he's like no no, and he said it could have been handled better. I, those are my words, not his, but essentially it could have been handled better and it was a little messy. So I think there's there's some stuff to clean up, but he's got to be involved in the fiftieth. I think there would people would revolt if he wasn't. Yeah. I, I would. Oh, no, I definitely agree. And people have to remember, too, that Adam Sandler was fired. Chris Farley yes. was fired. Norm MacDonald yes. was fired. So that doesn't mean anything. Like, that, that you're in good company still. Yeah, yeah. If Although he fired. hasn't been asked back to host, but. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because he hasn't, he, he does a lot of guest spots on a lot of different shows. Uh, he was in Single Parents. He did 45 episodes of Single Parents from 2018 to 2020. 
Uh, I watched a lot of that show. My wife and I would 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 put that on because I I would point. I'd be like the Leo meme, pointing at the TV. Oh, there's Taron Killam, and and be like excited that he was on screen. Did you ever catch Single Parents? No, I didn't watch it. He was good in it. It was it was just like a standard kind of goofy sitcom or whatever. But yeah. I I, I like that Taron was given a starring role. Like yeah. Taron was the star of this uh, of this uh, sitcom. But uh, it's been four years. It was it was canceled in 2020. Uh, Kirsten, like, what kind of show or even movie do you think would play into his strengths? It could maybe push him back into that starring role. Maybe he can come back and host SNL if he was more of a starring role. Like, what what do you think would be a good vehicle for him? This idea of a starring role is interesting because I don't know that he's necessarily a leading man, so to speak. He might be an ensemble person. Mm. I see him more as ensemble. And showing up the way that Cecily and Vanessa do, where they have decent roles in movies as support cast, but they're very memorable because they give them a bit of an edge and more than you'd expect from just, you know, so-and-so's coworker. Like that coworker has a backstory. Yeah. And you know all about it. And they have, you know, they're a fully developed character. So I think that's where someone like, hey, you know, Taryn and Vanessa and all those folks really excel. Yeah, so he, he should can be just, more. Yeah, he can make the most of his screen time. Yeah. He can be super memorable in just like a handful of scenes. I think you're right. I think that's that's his destiny. He's definitely making uh, a good post-SNL career. He's He appears in a lot of things. He's um, in Hamilton he, now. He's on Broadway. Yeah. No, he's, he's a Broadway actor. He's doing really yeah. well for himself. Yeah. I think it seems like, I think he's pretty happy. I, and, yeah. and I know, I know he's, no matter what he's in, he's going to be fun to watch. That, yep. That's a given. I agree. I agree. So as far as SNL and Taron Killam's legacy, like what do you think his legacy on SNL uh, is? I would say his legacy will continue to grow because people are rediscovering clips, compilations of Jebediah. Um, I think the comments... I echo so many of them that I saw that he was a little bit overlooked and, you know, in hindsight should be more remembered and more celebrated. And that's not due to any lack of performance ability on his part. I I don't know what kind of weird chemistry didn't result in this, like, you know, shooting off to Hollywood or being asked to host multiple times, but I think there's still time for some of that. So I think great character work, great team player, all in commitment. Like, again, I just keep thinking of Vegas, push those chips all in the table. You are in. I also think that, you know, there's, there's one fun moment that other people remember, even if you weren't a fan of the show. And it was when he did the Robin video. Mm -hmm. 4.30 in the morning, we're clearly in one of the, backstage kind of writing rooms and you get to see people just hanging out clearly everyone's exhausted and tired but man did I want to be back there with them and it gave me a small window a little peek into the BTS the behind the scenes of being in the show and him just doing this dance and he's rolling around on the ground perfectly matching this Robin video and it's very memorable for people. So I think there's, there's a, a 
a video like that that went quite viral, I think, has over a million views as, as of a while back, shows that it wasn't just the character work, that it was also just him. Mm-hmm. It was also just him. He just seemed pretty awesome. And, you know, I again, I want to see more of him. I think a lot of people do. Um, because he on screen and I say off screen by that, I mean the Robin thing is still technically on screen, just really gave you a peek into what kind of human he probably is. And I hope he lives up to it if I ever meet him. Thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you so much, Kirsten. A bang-up job, as always, building a case for Taryn Killam to be elected to the SNL Hall of Fame. Now, cast members typically have good luck in the voting. Will Taryn Killam be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Time will tell. Did Kirsten and Thomas dig enough information out for you? to help you make that decision, again, time will tell. Something else that might convince you is a bit of work from Mr. Killam, and we're going to go to that sketch right now. It comes from Weekend Update. His character, Jebediah Atkinson, Atkinson, (laughs) easy for me to say, and Michael Che is the person that he's going to uh, have a conversation with. So let's go to that sketch right now. New seasons of the critically acclaimed series Mad Men and the Game of Thrones will begin soon. And many are saying we are in a golden age of television. Here with his reviews of some of these hit shows is a man who has been around longer than TV itself, 1860s newspaper critic Jebediah Atkinson. for that enthusiastic introduction. So good to be back. So, Jebediah, <laughs> have you been keeping up with all these uh, big TV shows? I mean, Of course I have, Michael. Yeah. And as always, I think you'll find my reviews to be perfectly moderate and totally rational. You know, I was worried about <clears> that. All TV is excrement! <laughs> Mad Men, the most likable character in this show is cigarettes. Hey, AMC, if I wanted to know what life was like in the 1960s, I'd move to Indiana. (laughs) I've been around a long time. It's never been a great state. (laughs) Game of Thrones. Oh, great, a softcore porn with a hundred hours of backstory. <laughs> At least in porn, you know how it's gonna finish. <laughs> oh, and George R. R. Martin, you better hurry up and write those books because from the look of you, winter is coming. <laughs> and House of Cards, the only thing lazier than the writing is Kevin Spacey's attempt at a southern accent. <laughs> And when he makes those turns to camera, I haven't witnessed shots that jarring since the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> Wait, Jebediah, you were at the event that started World War I. Of course I was, Michael, but I prefer the sequel. 
Come on, Jeff. Oh, what? World War II wasn't a better war? That's pretty harsh, man. There must be some shows that you do like. I haven't liked any television ever! It's been 80 years of mind-poisoning refuse, and I've reviewed it all! Here are a few from the archives. I'm listening. Thank you. Want your full attention, Michael. <laughs> the West Wing. The best lines on that show are the ones that went up Sorkin's nose. Next! Good distance on that one. Cheers, where everybody knows your name. From the AA meetings. Next! Oh, and Lost. Sure, it started out good, but I haven't seen a final season that bad since Joe Paterno's. Oh. <laughs> if you don't like that joke, just do as Joe did and turn a blind eye. You don't like anything on TV? What about like a classic comedy like Seinfeld? Oh, Seinfeld. I'd rather watch Michael Richards do stand-up at the Apollo. <laughs> That's right, I haven't forgiven him yet. <laughs> hey, Kramer, I can say an N-word too. Next! <laughs> Keep that for a souvenir. <laughs> Saturday Night Live. The same tired characters repeating the same tired catchphrases. Next! <laughs> The Honeymooners, a gritty depiction of a bus driver from the slums who abuses his wife. It's a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> and who's the genius who said, oh, this is great, let's turn it into a cartoon, set it in the Stone Age when women had an even harder time? And now we come to the worst television show of all time, I Love Lucy. But I don't think I should do this joke after the audience rioted over the Paterno joke. You know what, I don't think you Well, should. I'm gonna oh. do Michael! It's my thing! I Love Lucy. Hey, Lucy, you got some splaining to do, like why you'd stay married to a man who rafted over from Cuba just to crush your dreams. They should have called this show I Love Lucy's Ability to Get Me a Green Card. Jacqueline, I Atkinson, everybody. Yeah, I'm running for Stephen Douglas. And we're going to end it at Michael Chase. And Colin Jones, good night. <laughs> oh, man. What a great reoccurring character he had in Jebediah Atkinson. I think, for my money, oh, gosh. Top 10? Top 10? Weekend Update character? Is that fair to say? And as somebody who is potentially a top 10 or arguably a top 10 guest on Weekend Update, does he not belong in the SNL Hall of Fame? That's a question for you to answer come May when voting opens. And it's going to be very exciting when voting opens. We've got a lot of voters at this point, and all you need to do is cast your votes for 15 of the nominees that are on the ballot. There'll be about 35, I would think, this year on the ballot. And once you cast your vote, we tabulate them. If you hit 66.7% of the vote, you are in 
the SNL Hall of Fame, joining a pretty prestigious list at this point, I would say. So there's that. Next week on the pod, we're really excited to invite Kalina Steckel to the show. And she'll be talking about host Anne Hathaway. So that should be another great episode. Miss Hathaway was always somebody who delivered when she hosted SNL. And we'll see if Kalina can put together an argument that will get her inside the prestigious Hall of Fame. That's what I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for coming out. We really appreciate you downloading, sharing, rating, reviewing this podcast. You're wonderful. So there's that. Now, if you would do me a favor, and on the way out, as you pass the Weekend Update exhibit, turn out the lights, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.